warning. Today's episode contains references to sexual assault, sexual violence, and could be traumatic for anyone who is a survivor, secondary survivor. Please be advised. Cross the Streams podcast interview series is back. I know some of you out there listening will be very happy to hear that, so you don't have to hear me rambling about my shortcomings anymore. We can get some professionals and people doing awesome work back on here, and we can help them tell their stories, which is really why Kane and I started this way back five seasons ago, is crossing the streams with people that aren't aren't directly in the athletic world like me, which means they're doing bigger and more important things, but our stories can cross and, and turn into great uh, connections and things moving forward. And my guest today is a fantastic example of that because until today on the zoom with we're recording the podcast we've never seen each other quote unquote in person but i've been interacting and exchanging ideas on social media and she's doing amazing work and i wanted to give her a platform so carolyn g curtis is here a speaker sexual assault victim advocate prevention educator writer carolyn g curtis.com at carolyn g curtis on twitter i'm lucky enough to have her helping me amplify my work i'm trying to amplify her work with retweets that's been our language right carolyn is retweeting and liking and messages but go ahead introduce yourself to the cross the stream audience well, thank you so much, Kip, for having me on today. I've been really looking forward to this. I'm Carolyn G. Curtis, and like many people who go through um, a devastating uh, situation or loss or trauma, my life is divided into the before and after. Um, before, I was a healthcare patient educator, tax accountant for a large international firm, and a community volunteer. But then my daughter was horrifically raped. And so in the after, I am now, as you referenced, a speaker about the impact of rape, coming from the point of view of the mother of a survivor. I'm a secondary survivor. And I am a prevention educator, a sexual assault victim advocate, and writer. Um, and I'm dedicated to all of that because, you know, in the hours after we got that phone call, I made myself a promise. I mean, I just, you know, it's something that gets you through. I made myself a promise that I would do everything I could to help her, um, to help the rest of my family, my husband and my two children, and then to expand out and help other survivors. Um, it's the survival, it's the um, healing, it's trying to live life. All of those things are so incredibly difficult for survivors and secondary survivors. Um, and I didn't know, you know, the thing is you don't call your girlfriends. You don't put that on Facebook and say, Hey, this just happened. You know, it's not like my kid broke their leg, you know, playing basketball. Who's the good orthopedic surgeon in town to get it set. This is something that people go through in silos. They are stifled by rage and grief. And, um, we were completely alone. I was so grateful that she had called me and my husband and I immediately traveled many hours to get to her and did what we could to take care of her. There were um, other victims that of that what happened and I took care of them too. Um, and then, you know, once we got home, that after was far worse than anything mm -hmm. I ever had imagined. Um, what happened to her was far worse than I'd ever imagined. So then the after was so much worse, but um, it was something that really ended up silencing me. Mm -hmm. And I didn't realize that, you know, all my energy was going into helping my daughter and to helping our, my other two children and my husband. And um, several months after it happened, coincidentally, my son, who um, is on a national team for a certain sport, 
got and um, performed so well at an international competition that my husband said, oh my gosh, you should really spend your last year of high school out in Arizona. Like we live in North Carolina and my husband said, hey kiddo, why don't you move to Arizona with mom, train with coach full time and um, you know, and you can see how far you can take it. Like just be your best self and then mm -hmm. wherever it ends, it ends and then you can go on. And so the gift of his love, the gift of his support gave me my voice back because I didn't realize how I was being so stifled, but I was really just choking on my grief and rage. rage. And um, so when I moved out to Arizona, it was really an, an amazing opportunity because I delved into reading all the books that I could, the articles I was looking at, the impact of sexual violence, you know, comparing it to what I had seen, and then looking into prevention education. And um, I joined the Arizona Coalition to End Sexual and Domestic Violence and got very involved with them. I started going to every training I could, either online back in the day, you know, um, this is several years ago, or in person. I mean, drove for hours, put a lot of miles on my car because I had to learn and I had this opportunity to mm. learn not in my own town, right? Like I was anonymous. I could learn in other places and then use this to help survivors because that's what I wanted to do. But it was so interesting at the uh, first training that I went to, we had to go around the room and mention who we were. And the one of the two leaders of the session came up to me afterwards and introduced herself and said, hi, my name is Doreen Nicholas and um, I lead the Arizona Coalition to End Sexual Violence Committee for the Survivors Speakers Bureau and the Survivors Advisory Committee. And we don't have secondary survivors in these groups, but people need to hear about the impact of rape. As you've just briefly mentioned, You know, would you be interested in being a speaker for us? And I said, absolutely. That is one of the reasons I came here today. I wanted to get connected. And so I went through, I started going to those monthly meetings of those groups and I got trained by Doreen and I started doing speaking events. And the thing that really electrified me was when Doreen was talking to me about what this would look like, she said, she shared a, like a folktale, like a parable that a lot of people reference. Um, Bishop, Arch, the late Archbishop Desmond Tutu has even referenced it. And it's the parable of the river and so for those that haven't heard about it, it goes like this, um, the way Doreen told me, three sisters were enjoying a picnic next to the river and all of a sudden they notice a baby floating down the river. So they reach over, they grab it out of the water, they're taking care of it and lo and behold, another baby comes down the river. So the first sister's taking care of the baby and the second and third sister run over there and they grab the second baby and then they're trying to take care of it and then the babies just start coming faster and faster. So while the first is tending to the babies, the second's pulling them out of the river and the third one said, I'm going upstream to stop whoever's throwing the babies in the river. And let me tell you, when I heard that story, it was like an arrow piercing my deepest wound. It resonated with me. And I said, oh, now I get it. That's mm -hmm. the prevention education. Mm -hmm. I've got to get involved with prevention education. And it was all in that same conversation where I realized, yes, I do want to speak about this, but it's prevention education with boys and men is where I need to go. Because, you know, according to the CDC data, 93% of all men who are raped are raped 
by a man. 98% of all women who are raped are raped by a man. So if we don't engage boys and men and explain to them how this is impacting their healthy masculinity, their toxic masculinity, the way they move through the world, we're never going to stop this. And so that is the part where I immediately pictured myself in a room in front of known perpetrators, right? Mm -hmm. And I thought, and unknown, right? Yeah. Like, but yeah. I just imagined like, what would that be like? And I wanted in on that. And it's been um, amazing. I mean, I headlined a Take Back the Night event. Um, I uh, have spoken to groups of victim advocates who are going through their training to explain how, um, what I learned from my daughters. And it's always from my point of view. I'm not telling my daughter's story. Mm. But my daughter's story was um, was it, it was something, and um, and I'm able to help people understand things that perhaps they wouldn't normally interact with or understand. And um, speaking to, I spoke. My favorite event so far has been a group of actual perpetrators who are on. Let me see if I get this wording right. Probation. Okay. And. Um, speaking to that was the most meaningful event because these were people who are naturally had a lot of walls up they were not going to engage in this you know here's this woman here talking about this and there was a group of three of us speaking but there was a man in the back of the room that was sitting there his legs crossed got his ball cap pulled down low and after the event before we were ending my mentor doreen who's a dear friend now said to him hey back row hat pulled down low you haven't said anything. What are your thoughts about tonight? He sat up and he leans forward and said, Carolyn, her story about what her daughter went through makes me think of my 14 year old daughter. And that would break me mm -hmm. if that happened to her. So that's what I'm leaving with tonight. Mm -hmm. And then afterwards, I had a line of people waiting to talk to me privately one on one. And at a certain point, Doreen left. I mean, I was there with you know the, the, the police officer who was running the event, and I you know spoke with everybody individually, and it was so meaningful to to talk with them, to understand, and then to confront them. You know, oh, mm -hmm. I just did it because the person made me mad. Well, that's not an excuse. Right. And, and so then you know you have a variety of conversations, but it's the ones where I really got through to them, and they told me that and told me what they wanted to do differently, and that meant a lot to me. And so the next day. I called Doreen and said, you know, what's your feedback? I want to improve. She said, Carolyn, your feedback? I have none. You had a line of perpetrators who wanted to talk to you. That's all the feedback you need. And I thought, oh, this is what I need to do. And mm -hmm. so it just, it, it, it was another leap for me where re-entering the trauma um, you know, which I'm not going to do today, but, um, but re-entering the trauma and talking about what had happened and the impact it had, and then speaking to, you know, where does that leave all of us? I mean, mm -hmm. where does that leave the boys and men who, who are the siblings of, or the fathers of these victims? And, you know, where does that leave us if we don't talk about rape myths and healthy sexuality and relationships? And it's that gamut, right? Like it's helping the people who have been victimized. It's helping the people who are the beloved ones of the victims. And it's helping the people who are using their power and control to hurt other people. And um, it's talking to, you know, parents and schools and coaches about mm -hmm. what can we do about 
holding all of us to a higher standard. How are we going to be our best self in the world? Because that does not include sexual violence. Right. There's so much. Thank you so much for, for being so vulnerable and sharing all that. I, I think of the words that you led off with where you talked about getting your voice back after being silenced. You know, I think that's something that folks overlook for secondary survivors and, and in that rage and grief balance, right? I can only imagine what that was that was like for you. The three sisters and the parable. Man, you saw me snapping here on this. On, I know it's a podcast, but I was right. told a version. So we got to find the originator. It might be your originator because I was told it was a first nation on my end, my version. So similar. Oh. We use it with teams and we talk about, uh, we were told it was from First Nations and similar. Guys, if you're all at a barbecue on the beach and you're having a, you're having a great day at the beach and you see a young person struggling, one of you is going to run out there. Same thing you're saying. Eventually, all these children, there's not enough of you to save. What yes. actions are you going to take? And just like you say, we got to go find the bridge that's knocked down. We got to go find the person that might be shoving them into. We got to get swim lessons for everyone in the city. So that was so resonating. And it, you're right. Like sometimes the quickest way to a person's heart is a story. So I know it's, I can imagine the power that is. And then I was just awestruck by the perpetrator's audience that you were able to, to summon the courage. And, and I can imagine the power of that because I'm imagining you're balancing some of that, not just, you know, want to improve and help, but some of that rage in that room too. Right. And it's, and it's it's a balance. I mean, I think we all learn through story, like you just said, but prevention education um, research by PhDs and very smart people shows that story and building empathy mm. is a key component to preventing the violence from happening in the first place. And so if I, I look at it like I can share my story, I can share what I have observed, what I have experienced, and if that is so worth it to go through that trauma to be re-triggered that is so worth it because to get someone to think differently and to behave differently is the ultimate goal mm -hmm. and i don't want i want to help end it and yeah. there's so few survivors that are able to do that work and it is obviously easier for a secondary survivor to do it and so um it's incumbent upon me that's it's amazing when you we talk about you know stories and I you know as a coach I'm into data right and, and a lot of men sometimes you know I'm analytical show me the facts and you mentioned already the 98% and the 93% is it frustrating sometimes I know for me it's frustrating that that shock and awe of the reality of the numbers this this is a crime 98% man versus woman 93% man on man that is perpetrated by men and I, I am frustrated and I can only imagine it for survivors and secondary survivors that men automatically put themselves in the 7% that you didn't put. Like you put 93. Well, I'm in the 7. Or I'm 98. Well, everybody in my circle is in the 2. You know, I think Joe Ehrman, Joe Ehrman talks about seeing for innocence. And I, that shock and awe speaks my language. Like, done. That's facts. Okay, I'm in. That, that's all I needed to know. But like you mentioned, is that like how do you balance those two? The logic and the stats, everybody. But often your story is what has to cap it off, right? story has to cap it off and you and just getting a foot in the door of someone mm. who wants to make a difference who really believes in um i mean I, I have a framework where i just and it's the way i raised my children it's the way i spoke for instance to the group of perpetrators who i look at it and i said you know you've got to live with intention mm -hmm. you have to be kind work hard do your best prevent violence i mean these are basic things that yeah. when you put that framework up you know it's like obama 
I mean, the first time I learned about decision science in that aspect was why make a daily decision about what you're going to wear? Obama, the legend goes, had two colors of suits. He had A and he had B. And so either it was an A day or a B day. Takes all that decision fatigue out of your day. So if you decide what is my intention, how am I going to work hard, be my best self, be kind, prevent violence? If you can make these core framework decisions in your life, you release all of that in the moment upstander debate do i stop mm. this from happening do i not you know i see someone who's really drunk at a party are you going to pull a kyle richard and who is amazing are you going to go out there and look after the woman who needs help or are you going to be somebody who's just oblivious and focused on getting the next drink i mean like who are you at the end of the day mm -hmm. and if you recognize that this is a problem many like you said many people don't then I, it, it is to me the next most logical step. We have got to do something about the problem. Mm -hmm. But you know, I, um, I was heavily involved in community volunteer work for many years. And after what happened to my daughter, I was still involved in community volunteer work for that next year specifically. And I went to my, actually, so I, I was parent association vice president, right? right? Like I've been involved for years. And I said to the principal of the high school, we need to talk about this. I would love to have, and I couldn't tell her why. I said, I'd love to have a book club discussion. And let's talk about um, the book, Peggy Orenstein's book, Girls and Sex. Oh, we just read Boys and Sex. That was her first Boys one, yes? Sex. Peggy's the let's best. Talk about Boys and Sex. And the principal looked at me. Now, this is a woman I'd known for like 12 years. Yeah. She, I was her right hand. And she said, Carolyn, if we talk about, and because I'd said we need to talk about sexual behavior and we need to talk about healthy relationships, unhealthy relationships, we need to talk about sexual violence. And she said, Carolyn, we can't do that because if we read the book, Boys and Sex, and we talk about sexual violence, which will be an outcome from talking, reading that book, parents of boys will think that we're blaming them for rape. So my head exploded mm -hmm. and I was like, well, who do you think? Right perpetrates this and the other woman in the room said oh well don't women rape and i was like let me tell you 93 and 98 percent right. you know but like you just go with the majority i'm not saying that your kid billy bob right. whatever but i'm saying we as a community owe it to the children to educate them and we as a community owe it to the parents to have these conversations because if we don't have the conversations with the parents they're going to be uncomfortable they're not going to know how to do it and if we don't have the conversations with the kids who is talking to the kids if the parents are scared to do it? And, and it's just incumbent upon us to reach it multiple levels, right? Yeah. And it could start as easily as a book club with that. Yes. Right? Yes. It could start with watching um, you know, a documentary, The Hunting Ground, Roll mm -hmm. Red Roll. I mean, there's so many, you know, the Erased documentary. Actually, I'm an um, associate producer of an upcoming documentary about, it's called Erased. Okay. And it is focused on drug facilitated sexual assault which is so common and thank god um mike tolliver and andrea nordren are doing this documentary because unless we learn about it we won't know to talk about it and you know people know if they're being a good person mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But we don't have to get down to nuts and bolts people know if they're doing the right thing but we need to have community conversation to pressure people to do the right thing mm -hmm. i think mm -hmm. and it will impact behavior you know but i don't think you have to be told this is violent this isn't violent this is consent this mm -hmm. isn't consent i'll still tell you right like it's not it's, it's not rocket science right right do you find it and, and i know i had sent you some earlier questions and you've done such a good job hitting so many things is it okay. easier for you in this work 
in the speaking arena, in that medium, or is the writing, do they work hand in hand? Talk a little bit about how you balance both those avenues of trying to get the message out, not just awareness, but prevention. Right. So prevent, So the majority of my work, so it, the, the speaking was so um, engaging, and I, and I know that we can make a difference. The more people we talk to about this, the more we can make a difference. Um, and as a function of that, when the pandemic hit, I, you know, we were all in lockdown and I have a, another child who almost died of COVID, um, oh. severely, had oh. severely, severely ill. And so I have really been so home focused that I haven't traveled. I haven't pitched speaking engagements. I'm starting to do that now mm. because I miss the speaking. Um, I am doing work as a trainer. I spoke at the 2019 National Organization of Victim Advocates. It's the largest conference in the world for victim advocates across all disciplines. So I spoke there, I'm speaking again at their 2022 conference this summer. I'm speaking at the National Coalition Against Domestic Violence conference this summer. Um, so that that type of speaking, I really enjoy, but I am so eager to get back in front of mm. boys and men yeah. and, 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 and parents and to yeah. have conversations about this. Um, like the flip side of that is I started doing the writing because I was home. Okay. And um, I, as a way of refining the way I talk about this, mm. I started actually writing a memoir. Oh, wow. And it was, um, be, you know, just because of the circumstances of what happened. And and I thought this will help me. At the very least, it's a memoir for me to read. Yeah. But it's a way for me to rethink through everything, stay in the pulse of all of it. Mm -hmm. And that's been helpful. And then I've been drafting some essays that I need to get up. I follow you on Medium. And so I knew I need to get that stuff up. But um, that is sort of the second, but the third stage is that I am a sexual assault victim advocate. So I've been doing that with reaching out to people. I'm in some very large parenting groups online. Mm. And so I'll reach out to people privately and say, hey, I thought I saw you message, you know, all 60,000 members of this group that your daughter was just victimized. I'm the mother of a survivor. If you want to talk or text, mm. I'd love to help you. And so I've been doing that in private connections with survivors and with the mothers of survivors and the fathers of survivors because I so, um, and that is incredibly meaningful because I don't want them to be alone. Well, do you, we were you alone. had any access in your story to an advocate for yourself or not, did you and your husband navigate not, that all by yourselves? Oh, I got you. Yeah. All by ourselves. And so we were completely alone and isolated. And this is not something because it's our daughter's experience right. and story. It's not something, you know, that we lead with. Right. That we actually don't tell anybody. And so um, being able to help people one on one that way. I mean, earlier this year, I had, I think, seven clients. It's a small group, seven clients that I was working with. And so I had different calls with them and was sending them different resources. And now I'm down to two and I give them a lot of attention mm -hmm. and it's something that um balances out the uh, prevention education piece yeah and also with prevention education i've been working with bloom 365 which is an organization out of arizona that has a wonderful curriculum that one of my other children and i would lead um their virtual trainings for and so we you know we did the buying of the ads and the using their curriculum and we would lead the sessions and spent hours on that and led multiple sessions and i really enjoyed that because the way they have broken it down, Bloom 365, they're amazing. Y'all should check them out. But they really focus on what are the root causes mm -hmm. of violence, teen dating violence, sexual violence, domestic violence, and it all gets down to power and control. The example you were given as a kid. Mm -hmm. 
oppression in general. But the bottom line is it's all going down to power and control. And I know that we cannot end sexual violence if we don't end oppression. Mm -hmm. And that means oppression against everybody. Yeah. Let's raise everybody up yep. and acknowledge that we are all equal and not use power and control to put down another person, another race, another religion, or to commit, you know, rape. Yep. The, where do you find, where, 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 what is your day? What is your day? And, and, and I'm not saying that sarcastically at all. Like, how are you finding that? Is it? I know for me, in and I am by no means on the level of contribution that you are doing, but in balancing my hats, right? I like have to segment. Hey, these are the days for this part of teams of men that I'm going to focus on social media or buffer. Thank goodness for virtual assistance, right? Um, these are the days that I might think about a meme, but how are you going about your day to, to fulfill all these roles that are so so amazing and helping so many folks? Well, not as well as I would hope. To. <laughs> <laughs> right? Like, God, aren't we all struggling with like having people homeschooling and like yep. I've got kids coming out my ears and their significant others are visiting. Um, so definitely not as well as I would hope. But, you know, it's that thing where I, I know every week I'm going to touch base with this one client. And so it's a matter of just working that into my schedule because, you know, that's an that's an hour or more that I am 100 percent there for that person. But afterwards, I am sapped. Mm. I'm and so I know that's got to come at the end of the day. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, yeah. Um, and I'm a volunteer. I'm on the local board of the local anti-sexual violence and anti-human trafficking agency. And so that took up a much bigger part of my life for the past two years. And I'm scaling back on that because I realize the more energy I give to that, then I'm not working on a national level. Mm. The more energy I give to that, I'm not writing articles and pitching schools and pitching coaches and getting out there and talking about this. Because how many of us are out there talking about this? Mm -hmm. They're not that many. Right. And Brenda Tracy is amazing. I yep. told her I want to be a mini different version of Brenda Tracy. I was going to ask if you two have connected because oh, you need to. You absolutely, if you already, I'm glad you have because it's. Uh, yeah. No, she has been a light to me because um, her story is so, um, there are just so many similarities. Mm. And um, she is kind and strong, and I, real, I revere what she's done. I just think she's a remarkable human being, and I am blessed to know her. And, um, and it's sort of an example, right? Like, yeah. you know, in writing a memoir, you know, oh, all these people are writing memoirs, and there are groups for them. But if you want to um, speak to people about rape, a, they don't want to get that email. B, they're going to ignore you. And and C, you know, how do you, how do you, you target, you know, like, so it's easier if I'm doing it through ACES DV, but now I'm doing it on my own. Gotcha. And so, and you just have to start somewhere. And, you know, people tell you no, and people tell me no, <laughs> and that's okay. That's okay. You don't want to talk about this? I'll revisit that later. We'll come back around. You know what I yeah. mean? I'll just go talk to other people about it. What about the yeah, social media side? Because I know that's where you and I connected. Mm -hmm. Was that something you were comfortable with immediately jumping into the space? You know, well, you mentioned Brenda already. And the, one of the things that is so amazing about Brenda is she does not suffer fools on social media. Ooh. Right. And, and, you know, right. sometimes I like just like you mentioned, some days I have I have the energy and I'm here to combat. Other days right. I'm sharing and that's all I have, but you know what I mean? So how, how talk about your strategy on there and because um, that's like so prevalent these days. It looks like you with coaching, right? Like you can't give and give and give right? like you're saying without taking some time. So it's that segmentation. I mean, I, I have taken the last four or five days off, mm. you know, I mean, as we all do, right? Yep. Like you delve in 
and then um, you know a a trial verdict will come out that will exhaust you. Yeah. Or you know, quite frankly, like um, every April is exhausting, and it is this thing where I have these grand hopes and ideas of all the articles I want to publish and all the posts I want to do and the education and the outreach, and I am and I am somewhat just huddled in a corner, just trying mm-hmm. to get through the month because it is so triggering for me. And mm-hmm. so I do a lot of, um, like specifically in the month of April, there's a lot of Netflix going on. I mean, there's, Good. A, there's not much Twitter. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, and that stuff. And so it's really just trying to balance all of that mm-hmm. because I want more, I want, um, you know, forward momentum. Yeah. And, um, and if somebody, if I don't talk about it, who will? Right. Well, and I think you've answered a little bit of this refilling of the cup, but it is so important. Um, and just me dipping my toe in it on this on a second business rather than my number one profession. Like you mentioned, sometimes the calls or the presentations, like sometimes they're uplifting, and sometimes it's like I'm as tired now from that talk with the fraternity as I was after a double overtime game, right? And so I can imagine you in perpetrator space or in these national audiences so you know some things that you do aside from just taking a break and we talked about that before we started recording sometimes a break if it doesn't involve peace isn't really a break it might be your body might be okay but your brain and your heart is still weary but what are strategies is that connecting with family netflix talk a little bit more about refilling to show up as your best no creativity i heard um on the podcast we can do hard things it was so wonderful because glennon's sister amanda was talking about she introduced the topic of play mm. as the opposite of work. It's not rest, it's actually play. And so that I promptly started thinking about and talking to my kids and my husband and you know, what are we all doing for play? And so for me actually cooking, oh. there's nothing more I love than cooking and sharing a meal with my family, with my neighbors, with friends, whatever it is. I've been doing that for oh, 16, 17 years, really entertaining a lot now. Mm-hmm. We um, when what happened to our daughter happened, we all went um, underground. We call it going underground. Mm. And we went underground and did not connect with anybody. We stopped going to events. We stopped issuing invitations for events because we, the pain was so enormous uh, yeah. that we could not do anything. And so, like in that time of of our lives, there was no refilling. But you know, now several years on, we. Um, Really, for me, it's the cooking. I love it. And then taking walks. Yeah. Yes. I was day. never a walk person before COVID. Yeah. And then I just, whether it's my wife and I, and sometimes we're both like, no, I'm going to go left, you go right. And because it's just <laughs> that stillness. You know, I've, I've finally discovered through reflection, like I do find stillness in activity. It is very hard for me to sit still, right? Just in like true, unless it's a movie or something. But the walks, I'm with you, the walks. But I've also found, tell me if this is true for you. Sometimes I find if I'm in a struggle, similar to you, I never, I used to be, I'll grind it, I'll just, I'll just grip my teeth, right? It's a very masculine, athletic misnomer, like, I'll just grind it. And I found mm-hmm. reaching out and either finding other people struggling and helping them right. clears up me or just actually sharing, which isn't easy for me to share. Like, man, this hurt me or this, I'm struggling with this. So, if, you know, for you in this, you mentioned it already, but it, I'm imagining finding community in the industry and folks doing the work? Has that shown itself, either social media or in person on the circuit? 
Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I think that um, I think accessing your emotions, learning what what is my emotion. Mm. I mean, that's all, that is worth a lot of therapy right there and some good book reading um, to figure out your emotions. But I think once you identify I'm feeling exhausted or that's a flicker of anger, why am I feeling that way? I think tracing out your feelings mm. is something that's so important to um, honestly to rejuvenate. I mean, for me, like when um, when I'm speaking, I am um rejuvenated mm -hmm. i mean it is draining and exhausting because i've entered the trauma uh, but it is exciting to see what i'm saying connect on people's faces and it's exciting to think about i won't know the ripple effect but there is a ripple there is a seismic ripple effect from rape and it has washed all over me and every person in my family but if i can turn that ripple effect out and make it a positive one then then that's what is healing to me Amazing. and when you heal you can take action and when you take action you can do some more healing mm. and each one creates the other and so like specifically for me the healing it's the cooking it's the loving on my family members and their beloved ones and um taking walks and reading i yeah. am a voracious reader that's a I, I love that you mentioned earlier in your first introduction of your work and you mentioned the perpetrator story and the in the man in the back with the pulled hat down Talk about the audience and as you're given this, because I've noticed, and this is through not as much time with as you in, in the in the rooms with the work as just, you know, in recruiting and team meetings and then some of this in the last couple of years. But sometimes I, my initial idea of a, of a really quiet, sullen man is, oh, he's not listening. But then when I, when, at the end, oftentimes they're digesting. The hardest and the person that raised their hand 42 times never really heard me. We're just waiting to share. Have you seen similar? I know that example plays in. It's not universal by any means, but I've I've noticed. I struggled early with, hey man, you Kip, you got to let people really feel what you're saying because sometimes it's the first time like you're challenging a, a male role model in their life, and somebody's like, but you know what? You're right. My dad did say toxic shit. I'm ready to die. Like they're they're processing that. Have you had similar in your vast experience? The oh, you're funny with vast. Um, it. What I have found is that you can, they're quiet. People don't want to be vulnerable in mm. those spaces, right? Like with your, um, I mean, just with your peers, it's really hard to be vulnerable. With strangers, it's hard to be vulnerable. But I see it on their faces. Mm. And if they don't come up afterwards, when I say, I mean, I see, I see tears coursing down people's mm. faces and struggling to breathe. And it's maybe they've been triggered. Maybe mm. they're a survivor. Yeah. But they are in that room either because it's mandatory or because they chose to be in that room. And so I'm always trying to walk that delicate line of I, I know that there are odds are there there are victims in this room, you know, and, and especially if you're talking to victim advocates. Mm. So many of us come to this work out of a personal reason. But um, when you're talking to other types of groups like college students, you know, it's the everything's going to be quiet. But when I'm done. I find I linger and then sure enough, people come up and they want to talk and then they'll ask questions in that third person mm. nebulous. Oh, I'm not. Well, what do you think about this? And and I instantly think, oh, this is the safest way to ask this. So I'm going to answer as if I'm answering them directly, even though they're posing it as someone else. And then the second sentence is usually, oh, my God, I'm actually talking about me. Mm. And, you know, this happened to me or this happened to my sister. And how do I support her? And so you get a variety of questions, but um, I think the ones that just sort of pat you on the back and walk away, like, I, I hope it sticks with them, mm -hmm. but I can't, you know, do anything beyond bring my all. Yeah. Um, 
but yeah, the ones in the back and my, my mentor had the courage to say, Hey, what do you think? And I did not expect him to say that. Yeah. And yeah. so that to me was a really electrifying moment. I mean, that night driving through the desert, um, I had a several hour drive home, 11 o'clock at night through the desert. And it was the most cathartic experience because I knew that I had moved the needle. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. How do folks, before I let you go, how do they stay connected with you? How do they get you on the docket? That's what they should be doing. Um, oh, be let me go ahead. Brag about yourself and how people okay. connect. Well, I um, have a website, Carolyn G. Curtis. G as in great. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so Carolyn, C-A-R-O-L-Y-N-G-C-U-R-T-I-S. Dot com and I've got a newsletter sign up there. I'm starting a monthly newsletter with tidbits and things for people who want to make a difference and I want to help them. And you can always email me at um, on my website at booking or at hello or speaking, whatever works for y'all. Those um, contact things are up on my website and I'd love for people to get in touch. And, we and I'll go anywhere. I think in person makes the biggest difference because you feel the energy. Yeah. And I've done things over Zoom and, and fundraisers over Zoom. But um, but being in person makes a difference, and so that's what I'm really eager to do. That's awesome, and we will for sure link a bunch of those when we when we post the episode later this week. But thank you so much. Amazing that we got to connect and talk, and I appreciate your your courage and vulnerability and sharing your story. And just thank you for all the stuff you're doing out there, and and more more power and rejuvenation to you as we keep going thank through you. this. And to you, Kip, I just so appreciate what you do. Thank you very thank much. You. Content reminder. The opinions expressed on today's episode are those of the hosts and guests alone and should not be viewed as reflective of the opinions of the institutions or employers of the hosts and guests.